The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us once again. This is Season 4, Episode 10 of the pod. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can download us or subscribe through SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. This is a high school football podcast about what else? High school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley, West Virginia and Ohio. We cover both sides of the river. We have a lot to get to this week. We'll run down some big, big games last week and we'll preview a huge one this week between St. Mary's and Williamstown. Always a fun matchup. We're also privileged to be joined this week by West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. St. Mary's and Williamstown, in addition to being a big rivalry, is this week's Opioid Abuse Prevention Game of the Week. That's a program run by the State Attorney General's Office, and Morrissey joins to discuss the program and the impact of opioid abuse on young West Virginians. We actually will have boots on the ground for that game. Tara Malone joins us later, and that's the thing he'll talk about. We'll also talk about that bonkers Ritchie County, Doddridge County game last week, and that's where we'll start. Doddridge County stuns Ritchie County, 29-26 in double overtime. You couldn't script this in Hollywood. Last year, Doddridge County beat Ritchie County 9-8 on a field goal by DJ Devaney. This year, his brother John kicked the game-winning field goal in double overtime to beat the Rebels. A 20-yarder in double overtime, 29-26 the final score. I mean, how crazy is that? Not so much that two brothers both kick in back-to-back years for a Class A team, a small school team in rural West Virginia, but that they both beat the same team in consecutive years on a late field goal. DJ's wasn't in overtime. It was at the end of regulation, but it was on the road in Ellenboro. John kicked his at home, a 20-yarder in double overtime after Ritchie County failed to score on their first possession in the top of the second overtime. Just a screwy way to finish the night as Doddridge County picks up a 29-26 win in double overtime. Notable for a couple reasons. One, this is a Doddridge team that had two weeks off because of some COVID issues that impacted their schedule. Maybe last year got coaches and players a little bit more in tune with the idea of having back-to-back weeks off. Who knows? Maybe that impacted things, but you wouldn't exactly expect them to come back the sharpest after that. Or at the very least, you wouldn't be surprised if Doddridge County was a little less than sharp with that kind of rest. But also, this is a Doddridge County team that I think some people, and I'll be honest, myself included, had slept on a little bit. I mean, I had them ranked in my Metro News Top 10. I do hold a vote in that. I don't talk about it a ton, but I hold a vote in the Metro News Top 10, and I had Doddridge County in my top 10, I believe most, if not all of the year, but I had the middle of that top 10, maybe toward the bottom of the top 10. I think they need serious consideration for being one of the top five teams in the state now after knocking off a really good Ritchie County team. And this is a Ritchie team, to be honest, that has been a little bit inconsistent in some of their outings this year. They come out against Tyler Consolidated, and they look a little flat. They only led 14-12 to 12 in the first half, and that one, in hindsight, is starting to look like Tyler is a much better team than we were expecting, more so than Richie was flat that night, but we'll get to Tyler in a minute. And then they come out after a bye week and they get in that absolutely wild shootout with Wahama, a game they also won in overtime, 50-48. to They come out and they blast St. Mary's and take care of business there, come up with some takeaways in that game. They have a couple big defensive stops, so it's a more consistent effort that time from Richie County. But then going on the road for the first time against Doddridge County, they fell down 14-6 to before taking a 20-14 to lead on Brandon Riddle's touchdown run in the third quarter. A two-point conversion pass from Ethan Hawk to Gus Moore 
Morrison made it a 20-14 lead. Doddridge County tied things up with a minute 10 to play on a Dylan Knight touchdown run. By the way, one of 56 rushing plays Doddridge County had in the game. They only put the ball in the air five times. So you have to think that, and this is something that I said last week on the show, that Doddridge County running game has a real chance to wear down these Rebels. And I don't know if I said it on this show or if I said it on Countdown to Kickoff, but I said that somewhere. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but it probably didn't help matters. Both teams traded scores in overtime before John Devaney's winner came in the bottom half of the second overtime for Doddridge County. So another slow start for Ritchie County. It comes back to bite them late. And now the Rebels sit at 3-1. and one. They've got a game tonight against a Ravenswood team that struggled. South Harrison only 1-4. They're on the schedule the week after. That'll finish up a three-game road swing. But then you look at their last four. Webster County at home. It's fortunate that they don't have to make that trip. And then home against Wart County and then at Gilmer County. Wart has been a bit of a surprise this year at 3-2. and two. Gilmer County has really been a surprise this year. And I know people thought they were a good passing team, but 4-1 and one for Gilmer County. That's getting them some consideration in the top 10 before Ritchie County finishes up with Calhoun. It's not out of the realm that this Rebels team ends up 8-2 and two in the playoffs. When you looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year and you thought 10-0 and 0 was a real possibility, and it was. It really was. And 9-1 and 1 is a possibility, but they could also be somewhere around 7-3. and 3. It wouldn't shock you with that schedule left and the way teams like Wirt and Gilmer have played this year. It wouldn't shock you if that was the outcome for Ritchie County. So the Rebels will regroup. They'll look their wounds, and they've got a couple weeks to kind of build up their confidence once again, open up their playbook, and smooth out some wrinkles before those back-to-back toughies against Wirt County and Gilmer County. Either way, that back half of the schedule is no cakewalk, and we knew that a little bit going in, but I think it's tougher than even we previously thought. One other thing that needs addressed with Ritchie County is their lack of success with the point after. Ritchie did not attempt an extra point kick in this game. They were one for four in PAT tries. They hit on a Ethan Hot pass to Gus Morrison, but they failed three other times, leaving, in some cases, three and as many as six points on the board, and in a three-point game, that's the difference in the game. It used to be in Class A you didn't expect teams to have developed kicking games, and then eventually, the teams that were winning state championships in Class A had developed some form of a kicking game. Someone who had designated themselves as the kicker, someone who had put some work into that. Sometimes it's a soccer player that had come over and was moonlighting as a field goal kicker or an extra point kicker. And in some cases, eventually there would be kids that would develop themselves into kicking threats. And that was a weapon used by some offenses for short field goals and extra points. It was a way to convert and just another weapon that you could use in your arsenal. For whatever reason, Ritchie County has not developed this. But again, in a three-point game, a game that goes to overtime and a game where you're beat on a field goal, it's hard to argue the importance of that. Like I said, when you're leaving somewhere between three and six points on the board. I know for Ritchie County, it's not like they've got a soccer program that they can pluck someone from and make them into a kicker, but I think for Ritchie County to take the next step, one of the things that needs to happen is they need to either develop a kicker, or if they really have some data that suggests it's best to go for the two-point conversion, they need to be more effective at getting that two-point conversion. 25% on PAT tries isn't going to win you a lot of ball games. Parkersburg South held on to win an absolute thriller, 28-25 to over John Marshall. This one also came down to the kicking game. You go back the week before for John Marshall. They picked up an emotional win in overtime over Trimble. Connor Fitzpatrick, the John Marshall kicker, kicked the game-tying 38-yard field goal at the end of regulation to send the game to overtime. Trimble scored in the top half of their first overtime period, didn't get the extra point. John Marshall answered, and then Fitzpatrick's extra point won the game the week before. So Fitzpatrick, the kicker, has the game-tying field goal and the game-winning extra point in that win against Trimble. Then just seven days later, John Marshall's kicking game again at the center of a 28 25 Parkersburg South win. John Marshall had a field goal go wide in the first half. They had a chance at the end of the first half. Had they managed to clock better and managed to pull off a timeout, they had a chance there to possibly.
possibly go into the locker room with a 17-15 lead. They did not get that lead because they mismanaged the clock. They got a field goal in the third quarter. So then trying a third field goal with a little over two minutes to play from the right hash mark, an identical 38-yard distance from the week before. Fitzpatrick sent it on its way, and he hit the left upright. Hit it flush, and it came out no good. South was able to run out the clock. Ball game, 28-25. The Patriots got a scoop and score touchdown from Gage Wright to start things off. South also got touchdown runs from Cyrus Traw and Robert Shockey. Shockey connected with Traw on a 62-yard touchdown pass play. That's a Patriots team that made their share of mistakes. They survived those mistakes and held when it counted. Uh, John Marshall rallied with a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Three-yard touchdown run from Kipson Wallace, their running back. They got an onside kick to keep the ball, and then with two minutes left, Fitzpatrick's kick hit the upright. So South survived. They finish up the first half of their season at 3-2. and two. And again, the same player that was the hero one week, and I hate to say was the GOAT this week, but found himself at the center of the game with the game on the line, and things didn't turn out in his favor. So you look at South at 3-2. and two. They have that blowout win against Woodrow Wilson. They've got losses on the road against University, which wasn't a close game. Then PHS, which South fell behind early and fought back to make it one late. The other two games are wins against Capital and John Marshall, and now those two wins have come by a combined four points. Crazy to think how close some of Parkersburg South's games have been this year, but they hold on to win a thriller at 28-25. They go to 3-2, and two. and I know that in West Virginia in Class AAA, a lot of times, four wins gets you into the playoffs. Five definitely does it. Six, you feel pretty good about yourself, and you might even come close to hosting a game or at least getting a winnable matchup. You'd like to go at least 6-4 and four if you're Parkersburg South, but if they've got one win against the right team, uh, that should get them into the postseason. John Marshall is going to be a quality win, and so will Capital for that matter. Those are teams that are going to go out and win a few games. That'll help Parkersburg South in the ratings. They came into the week at 17th on the outside looking in, and they've got a shot to stick around. And again, with the back half of the schedule that is no cakewalk, the Patriots should have one, two, maybe even three wins left in that schedule. It's Bridgeport on the road this week, then a bye week, then back on the road at Morgantown. They'll host Cabell Midland, they'll go to Wheeling Park, and then they'll host Princeton to finish things up. That is if COVID doesn't impact things and change that schedule around, as we know it, that's what's left. But for Parkersburg South, a game that Bill Marshall said you definitely had to have, and I agree with him, because there are not a lot of sure wins on the back half of that schedule. There are some games they'll compete in, but you start losing those toss-up games early, and it only complicates the picture down the road. Those Tyler Consolidated Silver Knights, as we go to the small school level, they won their third straight in a 38-0 route of Wart County. And I'll be honest, this may have been the game that surprised me the most out of any of the outcomes that I saw rolling in this weekend. I thought that would be a lot more competitive and in a direction that favored Wart County, to be honest. I've been really impressed with the Wart County Tigers. Was impressed when I saw them last year in the postseason. And I knew Tyler was surging, but 38 nothing. Can't say I saw that coming. And maybe this is a testament to their defense. They held Wart to fewer than 200 total yards of offense, about split evenly between running the ball and throwing the ball. Jaden Helmick and Sean Winfrey had huge games for Tyler Consolidated. Trenton Huffman found Helmick for a 93-yard pass play to put Tyler Consolidated on the board. And then it was Sean Winfrey. Four touchdown runs for Winfrey. 29 carries, 150 yards. And they have been running behind this guy. And they did it all to the tune of 365 total yards on Friday. So give credit to Ryan Walton's Silver Knights. The Silver Knights are 3-2. and two, And he said this to me during the preseason preview series. And it stuck out to me. And it's ringing true. They knew they had a tough schedule going in. It doesn't get a lot easier from here on the back half. They still have St. Mary's to play. Regardless of what St. Mary's does record-wise, that's always a tough matchup for the rivalry. But he said to me, I know we have a tough schedule, but if we don't win the games we need to be winning, if we don't win some of those tough games, we don't deserve to be in the playoffs. If we win five or six, that should be good enough to get us in. We win more than that, then we have a real shot. This is a team that is off this 
this week. And then they've got the back half of the schedule. Lays out perfectly at 5-5. Five and five. Three straight home games coming up after the bye week. Buffalo, Williamstown, and Magnolia. Williamstown, the especially tough one. But Magnolia is going to be extra hungry. And then they finish at St. Mary's. There are winnable games in there. 5-5, five and five, a very real possibility for this team. You might even say 6-3. and three. They got an outside chance to do that, too. But a huge statement win for Tyler Consolidated going on the road to a Wark County team that's going to win some games themselves. So this will get them some bonus points down the road as well. This is a quality win for the Silver Knights, and they come away with it 38 to nothing. Impressive stuff for Tyler Consolidated. Hayden City is at 2-2 two two with a win. They defeated 142-0, so wins against Hancock, Maryland, and 100. Hayden City's a team that's got some work to do this week. They're going to double up and play a couple games because of some postponements. This week they are in action against Calhoun County, and then the following Wednesday they will play Trinity. They'll host Trinity. So they got two home games coming up in about five days' time for a team that has struggled with numbers. That is going to test that group. We'll see how they come out of it. They're 2-2 two two with a win. We don't talk about Belpre a ton on this show, but I want to give a shout-out to the Belpre Golden Eagles. They defeated South Gallia 31-0 for their first win of the season. This is a team that has been depleted with some injuries, and they have low numbers, only about 13 or 14 guys on the roster right now that are dressed and ready to go. But they got a win against South Gallia 31-0. So some credit for head coach Jimmy Bell and his staff and his players there. A good win for that group. Marietta's three-game winning streak ended after a rough second half and a 22-12 loss against Shenandoah. So the Tigers are 3-3 three and three with four left to play. Again, now in Ohio, the top 16 in each region get into the postseason, so a real shot for the Tigers to make it with four games left. Shadyside handed River a tough 14-12 loss. Monroe Central defeated Magnolia in the return for the Magnolia Blue Eagles. They missed a couple weeks with COVID issues. 43-19, the final score there. Monroe Central moving to 2-3, and three, Magnolia to 1-2 and two after that setback. St. Mary's gets right. They roll with a 48-0 win over Calhoun County, and the Blue Devils are now 2-2 two and two, headed into the matchup this week against Williamstown. We'll talk much more about that one later on in the program. And Cabell Midland blasts Parkersburg 45-6. The Big Reds got their touchdown in the closing minutes of that game. They finish up their first half at 2-3. Cabell Midland at 4-1, headed for the top eight and a potential home game for the playoffs after their 45-6 win against PHS. So there were a couple big games in the area, a couple results that came down to the wire, and a couple stunners. But by and large, this was not a good weekend for some local teams. Definitely some blood in the water, oil leaking perhaps for a couple programs. We'll see how they bounce back next week. Last week's scene definitely had no shortage of storylines. In the news and notes folder, this from Wood County. The Wood County Board of Education discussed upcoming construction projects at their meeting this week. One of those, the replacement of the football bleachers at Williamstown High School. The current bleachers are wooden, and school officials say they'll be condemned at the end of the football season. Estimates to replace those bleachers run between $1.2 million and $1.6 million. The new bleachers will need to be ADA compliant, and another big issue will be the removal of railroad ties underneath those bleachers. So that is a looming issue for Wood County Schools and Williamstown High School and perhaps the Williamstown football program to find an answer to in the coming days, weeks, and months. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks to get more on this St. Mary's Williamstown game. We'll go ahead and bring in our Metro News statewide correspondent, Taryn Malone. Before he talks about St. Mary's and Williamstown, I asked him to give some thoughts on Ritchie County and Doddridge County because I know he saw the Ritchie County Rebels earlier this year when they played St. Mary's and was high on what that team could do. And we'll see if his thoughts have changed in any way regarding the Rebels after their loss to Doddridge County. He'll be covering the St. Mary's Williamstown game for Metro News. He shares his five things to watch for this week. Taryn? Thanks, Eric. Doddridge County found a late score with about 90 seconds to go to tie things up at the end of regulation to send it to overtime. They would get a big defensive stop in the end of the second 
overtime to win by a field goal for the second straight year in a row to earn a key victory over their rival Ritchie County by a final score of 29 to 26. First and foremost, this really must be one of the best games we've seen in Class Single A so far in this season, just for what's at stake, and not to mention it's a big rivalry game between both of the squads, between the Bulldogs of Doddridge County and the Rebels of Ritchie County. I heard there's a great atmosphere as well. This game really makes you think who is the best team in Class Single A at this given point so far. I have seen eight quality Single A programs, and I will continue to add to that list as I get to cover Williamstown and St. Mary's later this week. I feel that the Rebels will have a chip on their shoulder all the way through the remainder of the season, and the best is still yet to come with this experienced squad. As for Doddridge County, it gives them a really good resume as they currently sit at 3-0. Moving forward to what I would be looking forward to Friday night between Williamstown and St. Mary's. The first thing I want to look at this week is line play. Can the Blue Devils pose matchup issues with their personnel for Williamstown or will it be the opposite way around? Next would be the Williamstown defense as the Yellow Jackets have only allowed 38 points to four opponents so far this season. In their alone loss of the season, Waterford broke double digits by scoring 18 total points. That game went in double overtime as Williamstown would only lose that game so far by a score of 18 to 12. Next up, playoff implications will of course be a big discussion as well. The Yellow Jackets will seek their fourth win of the season. With a win over their rival, the Blue Devils, we could possibly very well see the Williamstown Yellow Jackets in the field of 16. However, for the St. Mary's Blue Devils, it doesn't get easier as they already had their bye week and they will have a very difficult slate of games in their second half of their schedule. The Blue Devils really need this game to go in their favor if they are hoping to play in mid-November. And finally, some series notes, Eric. St. Mary's leads the all-time series 57-33 and 1. However, Williamstown has led the way in recent years in the past three seasons over the Blue Devils. Meanwhile, St. Mary's will be looking for their first win over rival Williamstown for the first time since 2017. Our local games of the week, Williamstown at St. Mary's and Parkersburg South at Bridgeport. Our statewide games of the week, 2-1 Mount View at 4-1 Sherman. Meanwhile, in Class AAA, 3-1 George Washington will travel to 3-1 South Charleston. That was a review of Doddridge County and Ritchie County and a look forward to Williamstown and St. Mary's and also the local games of the week and statewide games of the week. Eric, back to you. Thanks, Darren. That's an excellent point you make about line play being a huge factor in the St. Mary's Williamstown game and also about playoff implications being on the line, maybe more so this year than in previous years. Williamstown comes in with a good 3-1 record, but they've stubbed their toe a little bit in the first week and again, they thought they should have won the double overtime loss to Waterford in their opener. The Blue Devils come in at 2-2, two and two, and I'll bet they wish they had the opener back against Roan, a game they lost 6 nothing. So both these teams feel like they have wins that were left on the table. Maybe a bit of a feeling that they're making up for lost time in this one. Earlier this week, I sat down with both head coaches in the St. Mary's-Williamstown matchup. First, it's Williamstown head coach Chris Beck as we get the state of the Williamstown Yellow Jackets leading into this big matchup. I know you thought you should have had the first one, but then you bounced back in the next three weeks and you picked up three wins in games that really weren't gimmies. What did that tell you about your team? I think it shows we got a resilient bunch. We got some guys who are going to work hard. Certainly felt like the first one we gave away. But the last three weeks, I feel I mean, the thing I'm most proud of, I think we've gotten better each week. I think every week we're seeing growth in the team. When you win, I mean, that's always the goal. I don't think losing is ever good. 
but we've gotten into is here a bunch of guys are going to respond to adversity, work their butts off, and get better. So it lets me know they can handle a little bit of adversity in their lives, a little bit of adversity with coaching as far as me getting on them, and they respond to it. And I think they've responded well the last three weeks. Offensively, you really seem to diversified things and found some threats and, and allowed guys to gain confidence. Would you say that was true? I think we have some weapons, for sure. I mean, I think we knew going into the year that Trevor, Ricky, and Max would be pretty good. As Max has gotten comfortable every week running the offense, it kind of opens up more every week and he gets more comfortable every week and on the flip side of that you know Lewis Goodnow was back at receiver and he's certainly grown and Kent Waggle Kent had a knee injury like second day of contact he didn't play against Warford at all Kent's a starting defense end, tight end 6-4 man that did not play until week two consistently and he's getting better every week at practice and give us another threat out there Colt Hessen another receiver that just hadn't played receiver before in a quarterback battle with Max getting more comfortable every week offensively I feel like we're getting better we have a few different ways we can potentially hurt folks so if we keep seeing those guys grow I mean there's good things ahead I feel a little foolish leading with the offense because your defense really seems like more than anything this year and maybe more than the last few years is going to be the backbone behind this team how's that group come together really good uh, you know, if you were to ask me in the scrimmages leading up, I would have had that flipped. But I think defensively, we've done a really good job. Coach Adams and the rest of the staff getting them ready every week. We've got guys coming along every week, getting a little bit better. Uh, I'm really proud of what we've done defensively for the most part. Now, we still miss some assignments and give some things up. But for the most part, I think what we'll see is uh, 11 guys flying to the football and playing hard. If you do that on defense, if you play hard, Round your butt to the football, execute your assignment. A lot of good things can happen, especially in high school. How much of the bye week was rest and how much of it was prep for St. Mary's? First half of the first week, the bye week, self-scout, fundamentals for us. And then, you know, you do turn a page St. Mary's. Uh, we had some film because they played Ravenswood before we played them. Uh, so you start looking at things that we think they do well, something maybe they don't do well. Start looking at some personnel because scheme-wise, we've played each other so long, there's not a lot of secrets there. <laughs> but you, you get a feel for what to do personnel-wise. So for us, I mean, that's how the bye week works. Self-scout, we get another lift. We get three lists instead of two lists in. We had a pretty physical practice Tuesday and Wednesday, hit more than what we typically do because we didn't have a game Friday. So, I mean, that's kind of how the bye week goes for us is, uh, one, work on ourselves, and two, you do start looking ahead. Is it difficult to kind of get a feel on this St. Mary's team more so this year than others because they are so young and they don't return as many guys as they have in the past? You know, it is tough figuring out a little bit with them and their personnel. I think Coach Mutt and his staff are still working on some things, and you'll see them move around some guys occasionally. But what you see always jumps out at you that, you know, they're state champions, they're well coached, they play hard, they started a lot of young guys out there, not a lot of seniors. And we know we're going to have our hands full, and then hopefully, you know, we're able to find some success and some things we can do well Friday, offensively and defensively, and come out on top. So make it more difficult that one of their strengths is defensive line, and I know a lot of these things are one of the trenches, but that's one of the things they do well. Yeah, they, they're really good up front. They're very aggressive on defense, very, very aggressive, which they always are with Coach Powell and Coach Moe. They do a good job there. So we're going to be challenged offensively big time with what they do and what Riley Bowley and some of those guys bring up front are, are going to challenge our young men. And I'm interested to see how we respond playing against a defense like that, playing against a line like that. We'll see how it goes. Much of the same on your defense, I would imagine. Just continue to bring the heat. Well, for us, you know, we got to really limit Roush. The tailback from Ripley looks like he's a player, and I think – 
for them offensively, it starts there, but they're more balanced than maybe other teams we play. The quarterback, Powell, can throw the ball. They got the tight end, 34 and 18. They're pretty good receivers. So they, they challenge it with some different looks, some wing T type looks, and they spread you out. For us defensively, I mean, it's kind of old cliches. One, understanding what they want to do, trying to take away their strengths, which becomes the assignment piece. And then us playing physical and playing hard as we can and making what we need to have happen happen. Now, as far as bringing the heat, you hopefully you're playing good enough out of your base you don't have to. I mean, that's kind of one of our things that we've always said over the years. If we can stay in base all night, we will. We want to blitz when we want to, not because we have to. So that, that'll be a tail of the tape a little bit too Friday. How much do you lean on the rivalry to kind of help motivate the players? I mean, I know that's one game out of ten, but it's a conference game, and it's a game against a team that's got some history with you. It's always easy for our guys to get up for this game. They always look forward to it. Even if it won a rivalry, you're getting a chance to state champions. You're, you got, you're playing state champions. So our guys are looking forward to that opportunity. For us, our seniors have a chance to go 4-0 against St. Mary's. We haven't done that since 2011. Now 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, all those guys were 4-0. But we went on this little streak here where guys weren't going 4-0. So our seniors this year have a chance to, if they are fortunate enough to win Friday, to go 4-0 against these guys. And I think that's always a motivating factor for all of our players when we go through that. And, and then the chance to play the state champions at their place and see how that goes, see how we stack up. I think uh, it's been easy to get our guys' attention. That's Williamstown head coach Chris Beck. Now for the same. Mary's angle. Here's head coach Jody Mote as the Blue Devils come in off of a win against Calhoun County last week. Coach, how important was it coming into a big game this week with Williamstown to go out and do the kind of things that you did last week against Calhoun County? Calhoun, obviously they're building, you know, so you want to make sure you go over and play well. I thought, I thought our guys did overall. They played well. I thought they uh, put points on the board and played good defense. So I, I felt like we, were, we did what we were supposed to do, you know, type of thing. So I told him before we even went over there, this is a game to work on, but there's no excitement, you know what I mean, as, as far as beating them because that's what you're expected to do. And then the way, you know, the last week went with Ritchie County, so you realize how much work you have to do, you know what I mean? So, but no, it was great for our young men to, to be able to have some success on the scoreboard. Everybody wants to win. Was this the best that your passing game had been able to look all year? I think as an offense, um, you know, we had 10 guys that we had to replace on offense. Cody Hauser, who was a fullback, we went and put him back on the line. We had talked about it, and he had talked to us, so we put him back on the line. He's a good football player. So that left us as nine, nine positions that we were having to continue to build upon uh, on the offensive side. and. Um, you know, I feel like they're getting they're getting better each week. I feel that way. The staff does too, because we we've talked. But just the little stuff, you know, just the, the continual fumbles that drives me nuts. You know, I think we had six last week, one actual turnover. So that just drives me nuts. That's not something we haven't been working on. You know, penalties wise, like penalties. You know, like Ravenswood, I think we had like three penalties down there, and then turned around and had uh, I think ten at Ritchie and then back to seven over Calhoun, so seven to 60. So so that's always something you're wanting to continue to address. So we do, it's just, uh, you just hope, hopefully one of these days it kicks in. Um, I feel like the guys have practiced hard. I believe they played hard. I said, outside the second half of Richie, I'm not for sure, you know, I question or they're getting after it uh, in that aspect. Every other quarter, I've been pleased with them. I know the staff's been pleased with them. We just got to uh, continue to work. 
How important was it for this defense to be able to go pitch a shutout and uh, get that confidence before going into this one? You know, I think anytime you get a shutout, you know, that's awesome. Cowling had the ball down there in the red zone a couple times, and um, the quarter right before the half got them there, and then I think we had a turnover and interception. Uh, that was a big play for our defense. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, anytime you can put points on the board and, and defense, you can hold Oh, I mean, that's that's obviously a plus for you. Williamstown's got more threats to run the ball than Calhoun had. How do you try to stop so many different guys? Where do you focus when you have an offense like that that's going to run so many different threats at you? Well, like the quarterback for a sophomore, he's tremendous. And it, tell, it should tell us, anybody that knows anything about sports, you know, he's been offered a full ride to Western University for baseball. I mean, if you've been offered that as a sophomore, you know, we've, we've been blessed with some great baseball players. We have been, and uh, none as seniors have been, you know what I mean, offered that. That's not normal. I don't know if people understand that. That's not normal. He's just a talent to me, he's talent. And then you got the Oates kid, he, you know, he, he killed us last year from the tailback position. And, and then the number three, it's like a three-headed monster, one of the media outlets said, and, and they are. And, uh, so offensively, and the thing about the quarterback is, sometimes year in, year out, you know, sometimes maybe a quarterback is more of a run-oriented quarterback, you know, that type of thing. But I think this young man, he's proven that he can do both, you know, offense uh, as far as running and passing. Defense, you know, I feel like they get to the football. They do a tremendous job with that. And um, it's just me personally. I mean, I, I, I've watched them, and I've watched other teams, and, and I feel like they're the best I've, I've seen them you know, as far as physically watching. So obviously it's a tremendous task force, but our guys are working hard. I, I just want to play, play well. Play hard, play well. I don't think we've done that yet in, in big ball games, I guess, like this, uh, as far as matchup goes. You know, Richie, yeah. I don't think you did for four quarters. Run, you know, we still didn't, though, because you had ball in the red zone, didn't get the points on the board. And then that's a credit to them, but at the same time, you know, we, we just didn't get it done. So, yeah, I mean, it's an opportunity for us to play another week of football. I talked to Chris about this earlier today, and he made a really good point. He said, schematically, you both kind of know what you got. You've been here a while, and, and really what, what we're seeing at Williamstown's basically a carryover from Terry Smith's staff. So, really, this has been the same philosophy as going at it for close to 20 years now. So, where do you get an edge in a game like this? When you know what the other guy's going to do, and they know what you're going to do, does it come down to the players on the field? I think execution, obviously, that's a major uh, factor. And then, you know, Coach Beck, I mean, there's still some stuff on film that him and his staff have, have tweaked since Coach Smith has left. Uh, you know, not, not a tremendous amount. There are some things that are different from an offensive, defensive, uh, schematic point of view. And, uh, so, you know, so he kind of has his own you know, way of doing things. You know, he's right. I mean, as far as us knowing each other and, you know, not knowing what the other team's going to do. Like I was telling somebody or something, you know, you know, this game wasn't, I don't even know if these guys remember that. This game wasn't on media coverage and TV and all that stuff. You know, at one time, I mean, probably when you were in school. What year did you graduate? Three. So, yeah, you know what I mean? So, uh, it's uh, definitely a different different buzz, I guess. But, you know, I, like somebody told me, that, you know, I mean, we're two and two, you know what I mean? So it's not the same as if you were five and five and oh, five and oh, you know what I mean? But we're just thankful to be able to play, I mean, with, with COVID and all that stuff going on. So in a year like that where they're three and one, you're two and two, do you lean on some of that to maybe help fire the guys up? There are some years you don't have to dig into that reservoir. If you're both undefeated, it is what it is. It speaks for itself. But a year like this, do you dig into the whole, hey, that's Williamstown. And mm -hmm. you remember when they did 
did this and they did that? No, honestly, I mean, I probably for some 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 you've done you know through the years is you, you just learn to to go play ball, and that's what we have to do. I feel like we're not expected to you know as far as you ask every other Tom Dicker here, you're not expected to win, but. You know, I think our kids will go out and fight. I should be fight well. You know, I think our kids will fight hard, just, you know, fighting well. And, you know, just for example, like Richie County, Richie County ran that Statue of Liberty, which is a big play for them. That's where the that's where the quarterback hands it back behind the, the running back. And that's usually a big play for them. It's been, been a big play for, for them against us. And like um, Ethan Weikert, he, I mean, he, he read that and made that play over there, you know what I mean? Those are the positives and the, the downside to it is, is we have 10 negatives, you know what I mean? So that's what I hope they do Friday night. I hope they go out there and play as hard as they can and play as well as they can. Because, you know, Williamstown, they usually do. I mean, every time we play them, they've always played well. So yeah. it's just a um, game of football you got to go out and play. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate the coverage, Eric. Thank you. That's St. Mary's head coach Jody Mote. It's St. Mary's at home against Williamstown. Our coverage on Light Rock 93R starts with countdown to kickoff at 6. Live pregame at 7 with a kick between the Blue Devils and Yellow Jackets at 7.30. In addition to being a huge rivalry, St. Mary's Williamstown was also selected as the Opioid Abuse Prevention Game of the Week. That's an initiative run by the Attorney General's Office. And now to tell us more about that program, it's West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. We're drawn by Patrick Morrissey, the Attorney General of West Virginia. Welcome to the program. And first off, what's the goal? of the Opioid Abuse Prevention Game of the Week program? Well, the goal is to educate people across West Virginia about the substantive problems with these legal pain pills. We started this about six years ago, and we found that a lot of people didn't realize that while the pills themselves were legal, that they were dangerous. There was a lot of work that we had to do to let people know about the addictive nature of these pills and we've come a long way since the very beginning i know that when i first entered office there was virtually zero education work that was going on and obviously that's changed fundamentally and this is one piece of a broader education initiative to make sure people know hey look we have to still stop it at the gatekeeper level people are coming in with these legal pain pills they're finding it in their mom's or their grandma's medicine cabinet we got to make sure that we let people know that's a terrible pathway. How many young people are we seeing addicted to opioids because of high school sports-related injuries? We actually saw a disproportionate number because a lot of people, once they actually got hooked on opioids, they would take an opioid as opposed to a non-opioid alternative, and then they became four times more likely to ultimately become hooked on some other drug. So it's dangerous, and we saw those stats through a lot of the studies that we're reading over time. And that's why we get out to the schools, we get out to the athletes, to the coaches, to the athletic directors, to the community. There are a lot of things that are going on that we want to educate people about because it's so critical uh, to stop opioid abuse. How do you reach the different parties involved with this message? Because I imagine there's a different approach to get to student-athletes versus coaches versus parents, a whole lot of people holding a stake in this. Absolutely. So first of all, every year we try to get out to the schools, and so we meet with the coaches, we meet with the athletic directors, we meet with the students. And of course, some of the messages may be a little bit tweaked with respect to each type of group, but a lot of times you meet together and you let people know, hey, now, this is a very real thing. The key is to get out and we highlight, for instance, on the sports side, we get to these games of the week. Now, last year, we weren't able to do it because of COVID. And I think that's unfortunate. In fact, I know that all the years since I became AG, we're doing a lot of terrific things. 
making progress. Last year was kind of the lost year because I think that folks know that when you close everything down, there are real consequences to that as well. And I think you saw that in the opioid epidemic, but it's just volume and the right message to let people know, don't go down a pathway. All the stats suggest if you start and you go with these legal pain killers, and then you will move on to some of these other products, the illicit products that people are also very concerned about, and we want to get that message out. So what goes along with being an opioid abuse prevention game of the week? What educational opportunities come as a result of this for both of these schools? Sure. Well, what we try to do is we uh, have someone from our staff available on site. They usually set up a booth at the game. They're available to answer questions or they may speak to some of the players or the coaches or the community in advance of that. I've made it to some opioid awareness games of the week and I've been able to get on uh, and talk about these issues at the game and meet with a lot of parents and I find that they've been very constructive and I mean one of the things that also happened is that after we started doing this in partnership with SSAC and others we found that more and more people understood the value of education and now you see that the governor's office and a lot of other folks and SCC, they're moving to do different programs with Game Changer and other type of initiatives. I think that's great. I think the more that people do this, the better, because everyone talks about what you have to do to stop opioid abuse, and people talk about getting people better in the head and the heart and uh, hospital beds and mental health services, but you know the most effective way? It's get to people before they even start, and get to people before the potential abuse occurs, and while some abuse occurs and it's an intentional choice to be honest there are situations where people get hooked on these products because they don't even know it might be the sports injury it might be the reaction to arthritis it might be just a traumatic injury and then you take the opioid and you're down a really bad rabbit hole so how are these games selected each week what we try to do is look at some of the potentially competitive games of the week or the rivalry games so it's a natural to look at st mary's and williamstown because of the rivalry and the proximity between the two so that means you're usually going to get a better group of people coming in terms of larger rivalry games tend to bring a lot of people back into the community. So that helps with attendance, just creates a little bit more buzz and interest about it for the week. How many games do you have as part of this year's program? I think we've done over hundreds of games over the course of our five-year period. So I think this year we're probably going to be doing at least another uh, 50 games or so. You know, obviously COVID changes things and different places react different ways. So I know that we have a full sweep of games that we're pushing, but uh, it's hard to predict this year a little different than some of the past because of COVID. And how important is it to bring this message to people where they are? This is going out into the communities and finding people doing the things that they would normally be doing on Friday nights. That's right. It is critical because people need to know. And I've had a lot of people follow up afterwards with some of our educational programs. They said, hey, this is great because maybe they learned that there are alternative treatment plans with a kid's healthcare provider. They know that, all right, maybe we don't take these opioids, but we go to physical, occupational, massage therapy, chiropractic medicine, acupuncture, over-the-counter medications. People learn that from this, and that's terrific. Now, here's the practical part of this as well. The state AG's office, or anyone, no one has a $5 million ad budget to beam into everyone's homes and, and to talk about all these issues. So we have to do this block by block. And while it takes a long time, 
if you keep doing it over the course of a long period of time, I think you make a difference. I think you talked about this earlier, getting to people before they even go down the rabbit hole of opioids. Is that why it's so important to reach younger and younger audiences with this message? It really is. And plus, a lot of uh, kids today know about the perils of opioid abuse because they know maybe there's another child in their school who's been affected by it or a family member or a neighbor. Opioids touch every single person in the state. And that's why we do these opioid awareness games of the week. That's why we do the Kids Kick Opioid Contest and other initiatives because people used to push back and say, why are you getting to the schools? Why are you bringing the issue to the attention of the kids? Guess what? They know about it. They know about it through the death. They know about it through reading about it in the paper every day. So let's confront the issue up front. Let's try to fix it. And that's what we're working on. St. Mary's Williamstown, the Opioid Abuse Prevention Game of the Week. It's a program and an initiative put on by the West Virginia State Attorney General's Office. Patrick Morrissey is the Attorney General of West Virginia. Hey, thank you for joining us today, and good luck as you continue to pull off this program this season. Thanks so much, and I want to applaud the athletic directors and the coaches. You know, there are some folks that I think are really instrumental in making this happen, and great stories. If you uh, check this out, this game, I know even it's the St. Mary's athletic director, Howard Meeks. I mean, he's a former teacher of adult education in the correctional setting. I mean, he's got a great story to tell. There are a lot of great stories that you'll hear about if you really focus on these games of the week. That's West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. We're running way long this week, so we'll go ahead and get you your games of the week. Ones I'm keeping an eye on, of course, St. Mary's Williamstown. Duh. We told you plenty about that one. Parkersburg South and Bridgeport. That's an interesting one. Bridgeport comes in unbeaten. Parkersburg South. 3-2 and two halfway home in their season. We'll see if the Patriots can keep their winning ways going. Brooke takes on Marietta. That's an unusual matchup. Brooke, of course, has been historically linked with PHS in the past in terms of teams from this area. Marietta, though, had just had their three-game winning streak snapped. We'll see if the Tigers can get back to their winning ways. And Wart County and Doddridge County. Doddridge coming off that big win against Ritchie County last week. And Wart coming off of a bit of a surprising shutout loss against Tyler Consolidated. And nothing to be taken away from Tyler Consolidated, but I don't think I expected them or a lot of other people expected them to be able to shut down Wark County. It's a Wark County team that's been pretty good this year. Those are the games I've got an eye on. Games on Seven Rangers Radio, Light Rock 93R, of course, St. Mary's Williamstown, V96.9, Parkersburg South Bridgeport, WVAM, the true oldies channel has Hurricane and PHS, a really intriguing battle of two, two and three teams at Stadium Field. That's one that PHS really has to have if they want to keep their momentum going because they have a chance to make a run in the back half of the season given their schedule. And then WXCR for a second week has Ritchie County football as the Rebels take on the Ravenswood Red Devils. Like us on Facebook if you haven't already done so at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can download us every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. We'll have a lot of recap of this week's action, particularly Williamstown and St. Mary's coming up next week on the pod. Stick with us for that. Much more to come as well. Thank you for staying with us for a long and jam-packed episode this week. My name is Eric Little. It's been a pleasure to be with you once again. We'll talk to you next week, and until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our week Paul, come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.